And welcome, one and all, to the Comic Multiverse, where the worlds of nerd meet. As always, I'm your host, Joel, and joining me is my co-host, Matt. I'm going very well. How are you going, Joel? I didn't ask you how you were going yet. You jumped the I gun, know. man. I know. <laughs> you man, is this is this really where we are in our podcasting, co-hosting relationship, Matt? That, you know, you don't even wait to hear it anymore? You just, just Are we just going through the motions, Matt? Are we at that point? <laughs> I can predict you. <laughs> do we need to go to podcast couple counseling? Do we need to do that now? <laughs> do we need to get the spice back into our relationship? It's because we're doing two shows a week now. It's because we're doing this and Cape TV, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Come on, fans. You know, the fans are like our children. I think I think we should let them know. We don't even know what to say to each other anymore. We're running out <laughs> of things to say. <laughs> Which shit, you know, when I actually kind of stop and think of it, like 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 joking aside and everything, we've been doing this for how long? You and I, we've been on shows together in some form or another for like what now? Oh, oh a couple of years. It's got to be like four going on five, give or take. Just about, yeah. Jesus, that's a lot of hours of, uh, of bullshit and that's a lot of hours of podcast gold that we've spun. <laughs> But now that I've got that out of the way, realistically, how was your week? How you doing? <laughs> it's been pretty good. It's been very hot here. We've been having, I think, I think they said on on the news, it's like the hottest heat wave we've had in like seventy years or something. Yes, that's right. You were posting videos of dudes uh, frying eggs on the hood of their cars. Yeah, it's been that hot. <laughs> Damn. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I think we got more snow here today in Canada than we have on any February in a in a long time. I'd kill for some snow right about now. <laughs> T tell you what, man, let's tag out. Let's switch places <laughs> so we can so we oh, can you, complain about you, the other extreme. Oh, you wouldn't you wouldn't survive here. <laughs> no, my pasty Canadian ass would probably melt, and your Australian ass would probably freeze into a popsicle. What did he do? He didn't bring a jacket. <laughs> That's all right. If I freeze, like Shield will um, unfreeze me and give me super super soldier serum, ah, there you and I'll go. be Captain Captain Canada. <laughs> there you go. But he's Australian. Yeah, that's that's the trick. That's how we'll fuck with the enemy. Captain Canada will actually be Australian. <laughs> no one suspects. <laughs> no, no, no. He can infiltrate anywhere, and they'll just let him go, thinking he's a friendly Aussie. But no. <laughs> Then before you know it, bam, fork in the eye, fork in the eye. <laughs> uh, so, man, comic news this week has been really weird. There wasn't, like, a lot of straight-up comic stories, but there was plenty of entertainment stories that I figured you and I, Matt, could get a lot of stuff to talk about. So don't be shocked if we pick and choose some weird ones this week, everybody. Yeah. But uh, the first big piece of news here coming down the pipeline is a story that I know everyone was talking about on social media when it came out. In fact, you know, all the big news sites picked it up. That's how big it was. We actually got our first bit of insight into the Secret Empire event, Marvel's big Captain Hydra finale, essentially. Yeah, the big event that's been teased in Civil War and a bunch of other books. That's, I, I guess it's a year-long event. Uh, I, I don't know. I assumed it was going to be like, like Pleasant Hill, like the last one Nick Spencer yeah. did. What we know for sure is that it essentially looks to be going through all the team books. And they've been very frank and very upfront by saying, you know, issue zero 
we see Captain America as the new head of S.H.I.E.L.D. who believes himself to be a Hydra sleeper agent respond to three major disasters all over the world, but these are actual plays by him to gain even more power. This is him mobilizing his Hydra soldiers, which of course I assume leads to believe that by the end of this new Captain America run, Captain America will overthrow the Red Skull and become the head of Hydra as well as S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> so thank yeah, you for and- that one. Yeah, he'll he'll uh, rule both of them. Maybe you even combine them or something. Oh, jeez, Hydro Shields. <laughs> there you go. There's the name. No, Shieldra. There you go, Shieldra. I like that <laughs> one better. Dude, fuck, <laughs> fucking TM that. If Nick Spencer uses Shieldra, he owes me five dollars and a coke. <laughs> hey, I'm not a I'm not a hoity-toity man. I don't have expensive taste. I just want five dollars and a coke. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, the big thing, and again, Nick Spencer was very upfront about this, both in interviews that he gave and in his Twitter feed. He said, by issue one, the entire Marvel Universe will know that Captain America has been compromised and that he is now essentially their greatest villain. Oh, that's going to be awesome. It is, you know, because there's so many things like, fuck, the the promise of this event is so good that I almost forgive Civil War 2 for being so shitty, where they're like, no, 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 man, Civil War 2 was all prologue to this. <laughs> it really was, wasn't it? It was. I don't think it was meant to be that way. I think Nick Spencer <laughs> kind of came in with the oath and everything and said, no, 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 man, let me, let me fix this. This will all be playing into my next big event. Because, hey, that whole vision, the whole vision of Miles killing Captain America on the steps of, you know, uh, Washington and everything, that's going to be in there they've made numerous references to that yeah they they didn't stop referencing that during civil war and civil war the oath as well yeah so yeah that's probably definitely going to happen and people are going to realize as well that it was for the good not the bad it wasn't yeah miles being evil it was miles doing something good i guess yeah miles was trying to save the world and furthermore to that Nick Spencer, who I think really did show in this interview and on his Twitter that he has a grasp on how the fans are feeling right now, where he's like, look, I know that there's a lot of event fatigue going on right now. I know it's really hard to care about all this stuff with the lackluster Civil War 2 and Monsters Unleashed and everything, but you know what the perfect cure for uh, event fatigue is? And these were his words, a great event. It is true, yeah. It just takes one. It's true. He's 100% right, because remember, we were equally bumming on events and event comics in the lead-up to Secret Wars, and remember how fucking awesome Secret Wars was? Yeah, yeah, it was great. And even in DC right now, you know, when the other stuff was kind of flagging, we got Justice League versus Suicide Squad, which was genuinely surprising, and it came out on a good schedule. And we're like, wow, that was a really good event. I hope the button is just as good. I hope Superman Reborn is just as good. Yeah, yeah. And man, Marvel could use a good event right now to, you know, wash the nasty taste of Civil War II, because that was an event that kind of brought everything down a notch. Yeah, it did, it did. <laughs> Because it affected everything. It was inescapable. And that's another thing of why I'm actually pretty excited for Secret Empire. Because unlike all these events that have all been about, like, you know, oh, we're going to tear the universe apart. You know, the heroes are going to hate each other. They're going to fight. Nick Spencer has come out and said, no, this will be the watershed moment event that brings the entirety of the Marvel Universe together to fight this foe, to fight their former friend. They have to come together. They have to put aside all their differences. Yeah, so it, it, it's still in scale of something like a universe-ending thing, but it's 
still smaller it's like just in the backyard of the marvel universe yeah i was reminded very much of like world war hulk like that was the thing yeah that made all the yeah. heroes put their shit aside after the original civil war and be like okay okay everyone gets pardons everyone's okay we gotta fight this terrible hulk who's gonna kill us which which hilariously was yet again another good hero another friend who went a little crazy and went to the dark side it's true yeah it's funny how that happens, although I'm sure you could make the argument. It's like, well, you know, the Illuminati blasted him off into space and killed his wife and everything, <laughs> but he was kind of justified. <laughs> no, he, he was justified in his anger and everything. But yeah, I mean, this, this is going to be interesting. And I mean, you know, this is something where if they do this right, and I have every faith in Nick Spencer that they will do this one right, they could reasonably rejigger the Marvel Universe after this to be like, okay, now... No more heroes fighting heroes. Let this be the Unity era. And furthermore to that, I'm sure you read that news that was getting circled around. I think it was Bleeding Cool who said it. So, I mean, of course, anything Bleeding Cool take with a grain of salt. That Marvel <laughs> saying for the next run of stories after Secret Empire, they want to focus, you know, less on pulled from the headline stuff and less, you know, politically inspired stories for all their books. And I mean, really, after you do uh, Avengers and Marvel heroes battle evil Nazi brainwashed Captain America, there's really nowhere else you can take it after that. <laughs> no, you just got you got to kind of step back and catch your breath a little bit. And di didn't they also say they're going to be bringing back more classical heroes as well? Like we're going to get classic Thor, classic Iron. Iron Man, classic Cap, classic Wolverine and everything back. Well, I mean, that was another thing they said, and I mean, yeah, of course they are. We're getting Avengers, Infinity War, and all this other stuff. Of course they're going to bring back the original uh, heroes, because that's always what they've done in these situations. <laughs> the status it's quo true. is always return people for everyone being like, oh, why did Marvel take away my heroes? I'm like, man, you, you can set your watch to when they're coming back, though. <laughs> Yeah, when's the new movie coming out? <laughs> exactly. They're not they're not gone. They're taking a break. Oh shit, why didn't I put that down on the list for news? You, you, you know what? That's fine. That's that that's Secret Empire, that's pretty much everything I wanted to say about it. But on the note of Avengers Infinity War, we got a little teaser thing this week, didn't we? We did. It kinda dropped and no one no one was expecting it because there was no announcements or anything mm. about it. They just kind of like put it up like, oh, yeah, hey, we're filming Infinity War at the moment with the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. And, oh, who's that? It's Spider-Man. Yeah, they gave a fuck of a lot of information for something they didn't even hype up. Like if that was any other movie company, they'd be like, you know, c coming at noon tomorrow. Big news. Everyone be here. It just shows you how, how good Marvel Studios is and how much good faith they've earned in everyone. That they can just drop something. I, I think it even dropped like uh, during the night as well, like late night or something. I, uh, true fact, until the screenshots of the thing came up, I'd been completely ignoring it. I'm like, yeah, 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 Avengers Infinity War, whatever. I'm sure it'll just be <laughs> like someone talking over a bunch of clips. I'm sure it won't be anything important. Oh, wait, it was really important, actually. Uh, yeah, they actually showed a lot. They fucking did. They showed a bunch of amazing concept art. You know what my favorite piece of concept art from that was? What was that? It was casual Thanos. It was Thanos. Uh, in the in the, in the the sleeveless shirt. Yeah, he's, he's sitting in his tank top there. He doesn't have his crown or his chair or his helmet. It's just casual Thanos. I imagine if you pan down, Thanos has like a space beer in his hand and he's got the remote in the other hand. And, he, and he's wearing like cargo shorts or something. <laughs> and he's just been to the gym. Like, like that's Thanos after a rough day. Like, oh man, sure is hard being the mad titan click. Now to... To binge watch Stranger Things. 
<laughs> I don't know why I'm making Thanos sound like a caveman. He's actually very eloquent when he speaks. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was so cool. And I mean, we already kind of knew that, you know, why would you do Avengers Infinity War if you weren't going to have the, you know, Avengers meet the Guardians of the Galaxy meet Spider-Man. But now it's 100% official. Yeah, and it was even better because just before that, Robert Downey Jr. did a, a I think it was like a Facebook Live Q&A and he did the Q&A and um, he got Tom Holland to be his cameraman oh, but no. not, reve- not reveal himself until right near the end and oh, when, cool. when when Chris Pratt just walks in in costume and everything. <laughs> and geez, uh, geez, uh, Robert Downey Jr., I think that might be uh, violating some sort of child labor laws getting this kid to work the camera <laughs> for you. Uh, it's a gray area. Yeah, sure is. No, it's fine when he's Spider-Man, though. You can get him to do it when he's <laughs> Spider-Man. I love that about Tom Holland when he's standing there next to Chris Pratt and Robert Downey Jr. He just seems so fucking stoked to be Spider-Man. And wouldn't you be? Oh, yeah, definitely. He's just sitting there like, guys, guys, I was in high school a while back, but now I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do anything for the rest of my life now because I'm Spider-Man. I can ride this forever. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, lo- lots of cool shit in that. Tra- I feel like there's something I'm missing there. Oh, they, they give a little bit more context to the Infinity Stones where it's like, hey, these were, you know, anomalies before time itself, and this is what Thanos is after. Yeah, yeah, they, they go a little bit more into detail about them, and I imagine we'll get more about it once the movie gets made and everything. But um, what I really liked is that piece of concept art where we got to see Rocket Raccoon and Thor fighting with each other. Oh, yeah, so cool. And and Thor, Thor wasn't wielding Mjolnir. He was wielding some other weapon. Yes, it looked like he had an axe, didn't he? It was an axe or maybe even the ultimate hammer. Mm. Do you think because he's got that he's got that in the comics at the moment? He does. Do you think they're trying to do like a? I mean, obviously Marvel is, is the king of this, you know, multimedia connectivity and everything. Do you think they're going to work in something that he loot that maybe Thanos maybe Thanos makes him unworthy, and because of it he loses Mjolnir and he has to get something new? Maybe, yeah. I know in um in Ragnarok where we've seen little bits of art and everything where he doesn't have uh Yoni, he uses like swords and axes and stuff. Interesting. Wouldn't that be funny if they did an unworthy Thor arc from Ragnarok to Civil War? That'd be really cool. I could see them do something like, Oh, he got beaten up so badly that, you know, he lost faith in himself. As Rocky put it, he lost the eye of the tiger, he lost the eye of the Odin, he couldn't <laughs> pick up the hammer anymore. <laughs> that would be crazy if they did that. I wouldn't put it past them. No, no, definitely not. Like freaking anything is kind of up for grabs now. Yep. But yeah, I mean that uh, that little stinger was really really cool and it's got me even more excited for a movie that's not coming out for a while but still. Yeah, we we got a trailer for that, but we haven't gotten a Justice League trailer yet. I know. Well, one that wasn't the Comic-Con one from a while back. Yeah. But uh, speaking of DC, right around the same time they announced this news, because it seems like these companies love to checkmate each other, at least try to checkmate each other, we found out who the brand new director of the Batman is going to be. Uh, Apparently Matt Reeves. Now, I I don't know. I think it it was the way Variety worded it or because they wanted the clickbaity title. I don't think he actually is the director yet. I think he's been offered it. Right, right. He's been offered it, but he hasn't been. It's not like a hundred percent yet. I know. I know a lot of people were treating it like he was. 
Yeah, and that's mainly because the people who put this out put in big letters at the top of their article, new Batman director has been hired, you know? I mean, you could certainly do a lot worse than Matt Reeves. I really loved his work on uh, The Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and I think the new one he's doing, War for the Planet of the Apes, which comes out this summer, looks fucking dope. Yeah, he, he's a really good director. He, he's done some really great stuff. I, I like his Cloverfield movie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, his Planet of the Apes movies are really good. Oh, yeah, here we go. Here's the thing from Deadline. Warner Brothers offers Batman franchise to Matt Reeves. And then a bunch of articles being like, why he's perfect, why he should, etc., etc. Rumor has it from Gizmodo, Batman movie director Matt Reeves in talks, the Hollywood reporter. Okay. Yeah. EW.com also in talks. Okay, so this isn't official. No. This isn't official, but I mean, you know... Ah, I mean, we've mentioned it before on the show, and it bears repeating. One of the biggest things that had me interested in a solo Batman movie for this cycle of DC films was because Ben Affleck would be at the helm. Honestly, without him at the helm, I'm just kind of like, I don't know, man, because you you got the feeling being the actor and possibly being the writer, too, Affleck would have more hand, he would have more power to make the movie the way he wanted, a.k.a. make it good. Yeah, he could do everything he in his vision because he would write the script. So if he saw something in the script he didn't like while filming, he could change it because he's the director as well. And, and the star. Yeah, 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 it all sort of fit fit together. But, yeah, now it's kind of... And I don't think he's writing the new script, is he? No, there was a big talk there that Chris Terrio apparently rewrote it and they like went back to word one on it or something. Yeesh. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Yeah, not uh, not n- not great uh, for that movie right now. Which you know, it makes you sad because it's like, God damn it, guys! If you can't get Batman right, if you're having this much trouble with Batman, yeah, he's like one of the easiest characters to make a movie for. He's got a good rogues gallery. He's he doesn't. You don't have to worry about uh, nerfing him for films with powers or anything. You know, it, it's simple, a simple story as well. And it gets weird, too, where it's like, really? So you're doing all these big rewrites now, but didn't you already cast a villain, and didn't you already cast a bunch of other yeah. stuff? Yeah, well, uh, that's what, like, people were saying. A lot of these articles were saying, like, what's going to happen with uh, Joe Mangiello's, uh Deathstroke now? And uh, anyway, he's got, like, a, he's just he's in that new Dwayne Johnson movie that's being made around the same time as that, so it might conflict. Right. So, yeah, and isn't he in, like, Justice League as well or something? That that was the rumor. That's what I heard. Yeah, so, yeah, who knows? Who knows, man? That's that's unfortunate. It is hard to believe that out of all these movies, and I know I said it last week, but it bears repeating, that the one that seems to be consistently moving forward without near as many problems is Aquaman. <laughs> it's so weird. It is so weird. You'd think that, like, an Aquaman movie would be the one with the most trouble in it because of the character and everything. Yeah. And, and all the, like, the pop culture stuff that goes with that character. Yeah. And yet, meanwhile, it's uh, it's Lynn, right? It's Justin Lin who's doing that one? Uh, no, it's the, the, the guy who makes all those horror films. Um, oh, James Wan. Uh, yeah, that's his name. Oh, no. Joel revealed himself as not being able to keep his Asian director straight. <laughs> Oh no, Joe's a racist. I've I actually I've legit made that mistake multiple times on a large scale, mixing up a uh, Juan and Lynn because I had Justin Lynn on the brain because he did really good around that time because you know he had the Fast and the Furiouses and everything, 
and he was like a really hot commodity, and I'm just like, oh no, I mixed them up. <laughs> it was bound to happen. Now, in my defense, when I mixed them up, almost no one stepped in to correct me when I <laughs> fucked that up. So I'm not racist, they're racist. I'm just dumb. <laughs> it's fine. Those two things don't always walk hand in hand, or do they? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, James Wan is the guy. Yeah, the horror movie guy, the, the Saw guy. Which, you know, it makes yeah. sense, because he's a guy who really likes to get in there, and he, you know, he loves finishing projects. Like, if you've ever watched James Wan behind the scenes, the dude is just fucking in love with movies. Oh, yeah, he's a really good director. He is, he is, he's in love with it, he really cares about it, he's got wonderful hair. (laughs) (laughs) That was always the joke on the Saw commentaries, if you ever listened to that, where it's like, yeah, and James Wan demanded that he have his own personal barber everywhere he goes. (laughs) Obviously, they were just making shit up to bust his balls, but I just thought that was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's the Batman, and really, I mean, who can say? I'd like to see Reeves make the movie, but then on the other hand, I'm like, I'd kind of just like to see Reeves make another Apes movie or another interesting movie. Yeah, he's got some pretty good ideas. He's he's in that... um, that, uh selection of directors who are like with jj abrams and all that they mm. that that other guy who did the most recent cloverfield movies in there as well they're they're like three guys who do sort of the similar projects could you imagine if they gave matt reeves like a star wars how cool would that be oh it'd be so good imagine a matt reeves star wars movie that focuses on the droids and you make it kind of like uh dawn of the planet of the apes where you know the (laughs) droids begin to question you know why do we serve the humans when we're treated like such second class citizens (laughs) they they could do that there's an actual expanded universe story like that so you could definitely do it see the shit writes itself uh speaking of writing itself that's not a great segue but it's the one i've chosen (laughs) Uh, we got to see the final trailer there for Iron Fist. Did, uh, did we talk about that last week? Uh, Iron Fist, uh, the final defender there, the last big trailer before it comes out next month? I honestly can't remember. I, I, I kind of feel like we did, but we didn't. I don't know. It's it's so weird in this thing, doing the show Sunday like we do. It's like, did we talk about this last week or didn't we talk about it last week? Well, if we were smart, we would be looking this up. I, I'm looking <laughs> this up right now. I'm going to the previous episode, which uh, which uh, which I'm not doing on Podbean. For those who want to know what happened to Bo- uh, Podbean, uh, simple answer for that. Uh, I forgot to pay the bill this month. And uh, apparently when you don't pay your bill at Podbean, it's not like they leave your thing up and you just can't upload anymore. No, they take down your whole thing. I know I know, we didn't talk about it last week. No, we didn't actually. I'm looking at it right now. We didn't talk about Iron Fist. But uh, uh, as, as far as the podcast thing goes, uh, I'm thinking because it's the same amount of money anyway because Podbean hasn't done me any favors. I'm thinking in the future when I'm not saving for Seattle anymore and everything, I'm thinking I'm just going to get us a SoundCloud page. Well, we have a SoundCloud page actually. Yeah, yeah, we're probably going to move over there. Just going to move over there. Apparently everyone tells me it's better. You get a better RSS feed. Everybody seems to like it more. I can't tell you how many people were like, hey, Joel, when's this show going to be on SoundCloud? Because I never understood this because I never had like a decent mobile device. But everyone wants to get it on their mobile device and everyone already has the SoundCloud app. So there you go. There you go. Much easier. Much easier than downloading a Podbean app. So, yeah, Iron Fist, eh? Yeah, it all looks really good. It does. You know what I appreciate about this trailer? I appreciate that? that Danny Rand is a goofball. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a lot. It's a lot more humorous. The show looks a lot more humorous, and 
also like with the the lighting and the coloring it's not as dour and dark as like daredevil or jessica mm. jones or anything it's a lot lighter and everything it's it's not oppressive and i said the same thing about luke cage no. which is probably the best thing i said about luke cage and i'm like you know what this show isn't emotionally draining i can actually like binge watch this and not feel like you know really uh, like the air got let out of a balloon as i did with daredevil and jessica jones which don't get me wrong loved those shows but it was a big commitment to binge watch those shows it, it was it was but yeah this one looks completely different mm. looks really good really funny as well yeah, we get to see, uh, they're essentially saying there that uh, Madame Zhao there, the triad boss lady who we've seen in a lot of stuff, is going to be playing a big part in this, maybe even the main villain. Yeah, and I, I imagine that that that'll probably might carry on over into the, the Defenders as well. Yeah. Since, since she's appeared in, like, uh, was it both seasons of Daredevil? Yes, she was in both, and I think she showed up in other stuff as well. Yeah, Luke Cage, I think. Um well, I always mentioned in Luke Cage, I think. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's definitely going to be the big bad of Iron Fist because you get the hint of those drugs again with that symbol on it. Yes, which is the symbol of the Steel Serpent, the uh, yep. more or less evil doppelganger of Iron Fist. Yeah, so I wonder if they'll show up. I'm, I'm sure they will. Well, I think they already cast the guy. I think they already cast the dude to be Steel Serpent. I really, I haven't really paid much casting attention to this. I know, like, obviously, um, the main actor who's playing uh, Danny Rand and everything, and uh, the the bad guy of the show. He's an Australian actor. Oh, blank, nice. blanking on his name, but he's he's a really good actor. He's in Lord of the Rings. Uh, Rosario Dawson showing up in the trailer again, and man, can I just say, can Rosario Dawson get a special award for showing up in all these different superhero properties that she's shown up in? She she's the Phil Coulson of New York. She basically is, and like I'm I'm not even talking about just the Marvel Universe stuff. She like like just track her whole career in the DC animated movie. She went from being Artemis to being Wonder Woman to now being Batgirl in that new Lego Batman movie. Yeah, it's pretty good. And now pretty she's awesome. and now she's the Phil Coulson of the Netflix universe, where it's like, man, lady, you deserve a special award. If I could make a trophy for, like, you know, what's the word, uh, years of service, I would send it to Rosario Dawson and be like, here you go. <laughs> and she'd probably be like, what the fuck is this weird trophy about? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is the get away from me, you weirdo? <laughs> yeah, stop trying to. Yeah, some weirdo, some weird Canadian guy keeps following me around trying to give me a trophy. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> or, or maybe she really likes awards and she's like, "Thank you, I'll put it with all the others." <laughs> Just put it right up there on the wall. Uh, yeah, uh, Iron Fist looks really awesome. It looks really cool and really funny. What made me laugh is seeing a bunch of people who aren't really aware of the Iron Fist story. And, you know, his origin and, you know, kind of what's going on with him and how a lot of people, their first conclusion that they jumped to is like, hey, this is a lot like Arrow. Oh, God, yeah. The amount of people comparing it to Arrow. <laughs> and, I mean, those comparisons are kind of unavoidable because, you know, Green Arrow and Iron Fist are, you know, are the, the similarities are numerous. They're both blonde-haired playboy millionaires who get lost in blank place but then discover themselves only to come back and take up a superhero mantle. Yeah, the, the only difference is um, one of them's good and the other one is Arrow. 
Yeah, on on television. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's funny too. They even seem to in this Netflix thing lean even harder into the Arrow comparisons because Danny's like, oh, I need to I need to get my company back. My company's been taken over by evil people. Where usually in every other version of Iron Fist, he just comes back. He's like, hey, I'm home. Yeah, well, that that's not really realistic. No, it's not. It's not. This is the thing, you know, to come back and have everything be fine. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if, like, maybe halfway through the show, though, he gets his company back, and then it focuses on the Madame Gal hand stuff, or whatever they're going to be doing with it. Right. Well, they seek to imply that his company has been taken over by the hand, or by some other nefarious, possibly Eastern-in-origin-type evil. Yeah. So, I mean, there's going to be lots of sword fights, lots of ninja fights, lots of street fights that I like fighting dudes in the rain. That's always fun. Yeah, slow-mo rain. Yeah. And uh, from Iron Fist to Luke Cage, uh, in preparation of, you know, the Defenders and everything else, I'm sad to report that the uh, Power Man and Iron Fist book that I absolutely love, it was one of my favorite books of last year, it was on my list, that's apparently coming to an end in April. Which oh is, is it is it actually ending or being cancelled? I don't know. I think it's getting cancelled, but David F. Walker says it's coming to an end, or at least he's he says his time on the book is coming to an end, which makes me think, well, geez, who are they going to replace you with? You were literally the perfect one for this. But yeah, that's coming to an end. But in a nice little silver lining thing, David F. Walker will be moving over to now write a solo Luke Cage series. Yeah, yeah, that's that seems pretty cool. I, as long as like the 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 pre- predecessor series finishes up, up its storyline, isn't it cancelled like halfway through a storyline or something? Yeah, um, it'd be it'd be really cool. I, I'm interested. I'd definitely jump on. And how how is that um uh that recent Luke Cage series that by uh, uh Gendy Tartakovsky? How oh, was that? Oh, hilarious and wonderful in its own way. It is like a great Tartakovsky cartoon. He the best thing about it is that he writes it totally in the style and in the voice of Luke Cage stories from the 70s. Oh, so like exploitation sort of thing? It is absolutely like that. He, you, you wouldn't believe that, you know, this isn't like, you know, Superfly TNT writing this because he nails it so well. Luke Cage's internal monologue, like, you know, I'm a bad motherfucker. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's only four issues, and it goes on this amazing tour of the Marvel Universe, because, like, Luke Cage ends up being the only superhero left, because, like, all the other heroes get kidnapped, so he gets hired, as he is the hero for hire, to have to go find them. Oh, okay. And he ends up going to, like, all these crazy different places, and the ending is, like, the, the final, essentially, boss fight, more or less. He fights a villain who is, like, basically Dr. Seuss. <laughs> really? Yes, he's Dr. Seuss by way of Enter the Dragon. Like, this dude kidnapped all these heroes because he wanted to have a kung fu tournament. <laughs> and, of course, Luke Cage gets in there because he's like, you know, I'm the bulletproof man. I'm perfect for this. It's it's really crazy and really cool. I, w- I would love to see them turn this into, like, uh, into like a little animation, into, like, a little short movie. That'd be really cool. It's basically written like a little short movie is what it is. Oh, okay, then. And it's only four issues. If you haven't checked that one out, check it out. It's definitely more of a comedy. This new David F. Walker, Luke Cage book, he says, is going to be more serious. He also said, you know, it's going to be a 
bridge uh, uh, or a gap bridger between people who like the Luke Cage character in the comics and the people who just discovered Luke Cage because of the show. In fact, he's dressed very much like Mike Coulter on the cover of this new comic, so there you go. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that should be all right. Hey, if it makes more fans out of Luke Cage, by all means, you know, more people getting exposed to a cool character. It's funny, Luke Cage is getting a solo series, and right around the same time, Carrie Andrews, who wrote uh, The Immortal Iron Fist, The Unkillable Iron Fist, The Unbreakable... I, I don't remember. I didn't like that series. I thought that one took itself way too seriously. But he's coming back, and he's writing a new Iron Fist book just called Iron Fist, which is apparently picking up exactly where he left off. Oh, okay, cool. So we're I guess. Yeah, so we're losing Power Man and Iron Fist, but we're gaining Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Yeah, so you're getting two separate books. Which, wouldn't it be hilarious if they cameo in each other's books, where it's like, hey, look, we didn't really leave. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And we're going to be getting all of them together in Defenders anyway, so they didn't go far. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, speaking of Netflix, and we were speaking of Netflix quite heavily... It was announced today in one of the weirder pieces of news to ever come across the Comic Multiverse desk, and by desk I mean my coffee table where I work on all the news for this show. <laughs> um, apparently Netflix is developing a Castlevania series. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of weird. <laughs> that's very weird. You know, I mean, obviously video game movies all have this big stigma attached to them, and rightly so, because most of them are flaming trash fires. But it's funny that no one's ever really tried to be like, hey, let's do a big, long video game TV show or TV series. Yeah, I, I'm definitely interested to see what they're going to be doing with it. And it, it's going to be done by the guy who's like, he's the producer of like uh, The Grey. And I think he did those, um, that Punisher short with Thomas oh, Jane. Dirty Laundry. Yeah, the the guy who produced all them. He's produced like a bunch of different movies. And I th yeah, he's, I think he's the one doing that. So this just ain't Joe Schmo. nobody working on this. There's actually no. some pedigree behind this. Yeah, there's some, this is probably going to get really far into production. <laughs> huh. I mean, you know, the Castlevania lore has always kind of been interesting. You got the Belmont clan, this family of vampire hunters and killers who, like, every thousand years or whenever a game takes place has to take up the whip because that's the weapon of choice, the whip, and fight Dracula again when Dracula's castle comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's it's definitely a very interesting uh, setup, and I'm, I wonder how they're going to do it, whether they're actually going to do generations like that, or whether they're just going to follow one character, or... Yeah. And I yeah. mean, you know, the, the plot is thin enough that you could write around all sorts of stuff, you know, you could have Dracula, you could have his son Alucard, who is, you know, also a good guy and a playable character, you could have, you know, Simon Belmont and Richter Belmont and all the other Belmont family members... And, geez, like, for monster movies and effects, Dracula's castle is filled with every monster you could ever think of and then some. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see him do, like, what they did with the um, Vampire Hunter D movies. Yeah, there you go. That that was really unique and everything, and you just put, you know, the Castlevania name over it, and you basically got a, a movie that's going to appeal to a lot of people. That's that's the thing, too, and I wouldn't be shocked if they're like, look, we had this vampire movie already in development, or we had this vampire series already half done, but no one wanted to buy it, so we just changed a couple of the names and put Castlevania on top of it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Which, I wouldn't put that past them, but hey, if it's good, it's good. Yeah. 
can't really say much more than that. And from one weird story about a beloved nerd property to another weird story about a beloved nerd property coming back. So apparently they're already working on next Halloween movie, and it's going to be written by Danny McBride? Yeah, I saw I saw this when Jay from Red Letter Media was tweeting about it, and I'm like, he's got to be like doing a joke or something. But no, Kenny fucking Powers is writing a Halloween movie. <laughs> On one hand, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard, but on another hand, if you're a fan of Danny McBride's work, his writing, and his comedy, he's very dark and cruel in a lot of oh, what yeah. he does. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that show that we like, uh, what, what's that one? Uh, substitutes? Uh, or... Yeah, Vice Principles. Vice Principles. That's a dark, brutal show where they do everything short of killing people in that. And, well, that's the thing. Like that show, it ends on a dark, on like a school shooting. So yeah, and that's birthed from the mind of Danny McBride. So you know what? Maybe he is the right guy to do Halloween and bring Halloween back. Although then again, you know, when I say bring Halloween back, Halloween never really went away. Like the first one is still like one of the greatest horror slasher movies of all time. It is. It is. I know. Obviously, Rob Zombie tried to bring it back, but kind of didn't do a very good job the first one's not too bad the second one yeah uh, the second one is nuts i actually don't mind the first one in fact i've actually defended no, the first yeah. ha- uh, rob zombie halloween on a couple occasions but yeah uh it's just so funny to think you know danny mcbride a dude so usually considered a comedian and you know uh correlated with comedy is going to be doing a big horror movie wow maybe maybe he had a yeah. good pitch maybe he's a big fan and he has a good pitch well, apparently he pitched straight to John Carpenter, and he loved the movie, so, shit, yeah. Shit, and he's and, got and, Carpenter's blessing. And John Carpenter said he might do the music, so we're going to get a synth Ooh. track. <laughs> Ooh. What would, you, what would you even do for Halloween in the modern era? Like, what would you do to make it as scary as it was back then? Because, you know, so many horror fans are so desensitized from everything else. How do you make Guy in William Shatner mask and Butcher Knife and, you know, coveralls frightening again? Well, you changed the Shatner mask for a Trump mask. Oh, shit. See, man, I'm glad you went there. I was trying to go there, but I didn't know how to. I'm glad you're my <laughs> co-host, man. And and then you make everyone a minority. Oh, well, what you know, never in horror movies, they always seem to die first, don't they? Yes, but if there's heaps of them, which one dies first, though? Oh, shit. <laughs> Dark, but... And you know what? It's like Matt's making a joke here where it's like, ha, 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 look how tasteless I can be. I wouldn't put that past Danny McBride either to go in a direction like that. Yeah, he probably just heard that and it's like, that's fucking good. I'm putting that in my movie. I'm putting that in there. <laughs> you know what my favorite Danny McBride performance is when he plays himself in uh, in This Is The End? Oh, the, the shit eater. Oh. He's such an asshole in that movie. He's so wonderful, and him making fun of his friends. They were like, oh, you mean to tell me James Franco didn't suck any dicks last night? (laughs) Gee, Seth, I believe that better than your performance, or I haven't cried like that since I paid money to go see Green Hornet. (laughs) (laughs) So good, so good. So yeah, hey, that's uh, that's your Halloween news there, everybody, and you get it right here in the middle of February. Go, Go figure. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and on that note, I guess we can hop on over to what we read this week. And I gotta say, it was a pretty interesting week for comics, Matt. Oh boy, was it ever! <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of varied stuff came out this week. Uh, would you like to go first? 
Uh, you can go first. Okay, here, let me actually bring up my list of what I read this week. Ah, of course, one of the biggest things to come out this week was we got a brand new Justice League of America Rebirth number one. We did, and it was awesome. It was really cool, wasn't it? It's like, man, everything that I thought was wrong about the main Justice League is proved so right in this book by doing it so much better. It is. It just shows that if you have... If you just take the time just to sort of set everything out and Mm -hmm. not rush anything and not, you know, be the artist on the book as well, like Brian Hitches on his book, um, then you can get a really good book out of it. And it was a it was a damn good book. And I think also it helped it was helped by those four rebirth titles before it. Absolutely. The one shots. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Steve yeah. Orlando, man, killing it. He manages to build a really interesting team with a lot of drama and a lot of, you know, different angles to take on it and everything. And furthermore, makes it a story about furthering Batman's, you know, weird post-finding out about the Watchmen DC Universe thing. Like, he's acting like this is all part of a bigger plan for him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's definitely putting together all these different teams that he's part of and everything. We'll obviously talk more about it once we get to Detective Comics. Yes, but um, touch on that huge in that this week, which, man, I love it when books like that line up in the same week. Yeah, but this one was really great. And this one also gave us some hints about the JSA. Yes, it did, because the Justice League of America chooses their base of operation to be Happy Harbor and Mount Justice, the former home of the JSA, and occasionally the Doom Patrol, but also the JSA. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that they had the Mount Justice, and I was like, this this place is, is it's, it reminds me of something. I just can't put my finger on it, and for the longest time I couldn't remember, and I'm like, it's JSA-related somehow. Well, and also and the I'll, Young Justice cartoon, that's where they make yeah, their base yeah, in that. That's, that's probably where I... Yeah, um, but what I really liked is at the end of this comic, we actually got a teaser page for what's coming up in this year's JLA, and one of them was a tease for the for the JSA with Batman using, I think it's it was Lady Liberty Miss, Shield. Yeah, Miss Liberty or Liberty Bell or someone's shield, oh, yeah. and she she she's related to the JSA and to Jesse Quick and yes. all these other heroes. So yeah. It's funny because when the DC Rebirth happened, they said, yep, and you're getting a JSA book too, and they dropped all these references to the JSA. Then they just stopped. Yeah, we kind of haven't seen anything. Now we're getting all this stuff about them. (laughs) Wouldn't it be crazy if that this team book ends up launching another team book? Uh, It wouldn't surprise me. Imagine if you had JLA versus JSA. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you got to get them to fight, then they fight a bigger villain, and then they spin that off into another book. <laughs> it's crazy, but it could happen. I-, I-, I love the interplay between all the characters here. I love Lobo is just not willing to listen to everyone. I love that Batman recruits Black Canary to be the one to, you know, keep them all honest, essentially. Yeah, I, I love that logo. His job is basically just to stir shit between the other members of the team. Yeah, he's uh, he's the Hulk. He smashes things. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I like he respects Vixen because it's like, you know, oh, you're a rich person too. I am also rich. <laughs> Which, I mean, makes sense. She's a successful model and fashion designer. I guess Vixen would have a good amount of money. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's doing all right for herself in this one. But, yeah, that was that was Justice League of America, and I think it's pretty tight. This is definitely going to be the Justice League book that I'm going to be reading from here on out. Oh, definitely. Uh, what did you have, Matt? Uh, we had Action Comics issue 973, I think. We did a very Lois-centric issue. 
Yeah, this was a uh, venture of Lois Lane going undercover to stop crooked councilmen and cops. Yes, yeah, very good. I like the fact that, you know, she's kind of a hero in her own right, and she can fight when uh, push comes to shove. Yeah, she's not just some damsel in distress Superman saves every now and then. She can she can put up a fight. Mm-hmm. And we get a cool little cameo from Maggie Sawyer. We get to see her again. Yeah, she well, she's been in the book every now and then because um, she's part of the Metropolis crime unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. And the, the, I guess the the B plot was the uh, Superman finding Steel and Lana in his fortress his secret and, fortress that he hasn't told anyone yeah. else about so it's like hey how did you know i was here yeah that's going to be interesting and it wasn't it wasn't referenced in the superwoman book this week either mm. but i think i think i have an idea how and i'll talk about that once i talk about that book cool. um but what, what i thought was really interesting i completely forgot about this is that i because of this issue i remember that superman has his own prison yes in in the thing and i completely forgot about that and there's a connection between that and um, uh, Mr. Oz. Mm, yeah, he's, that's he's, right. he's, he's got his own prison as well. That's it's true. kind of a little, little connection there. They've both got secret prisons, don't they, where they're keeping people who they consider to be too powerful or too dangerous to be allowed to walk free. Yep. Uh, it's funny, too, They because uh, uh, you mentioned the secret pis- prison. They bring back uh, Blanche again, that albino with the incredibly powerful telekinesis and mind reading and everything. Yeah, I imagine he's maybe going to break out. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know. He's got to. That's like a total Chekhov's gun moment where it's like, why do you remind us he's here if he's not going to break out? Well, that's the thing. At the end of this issue, we see Hank Henshaw, the, the new 52 Hank Henshaw, uh, who never actually became Cyborg Superman because Clark saved him mm. from the shuttle crash that was going to give him his weird, not fantastic four powers. <laughs> um, and yet they imply, even though he's not Cyborg Superman anymore, they imply that he's still evil. Yeah, and I think he wants to get to the Fortress to release Blank because they had a sort of relationship in the Lois and Clark book. Yes, nice bit of continuity and connective tissue. Blanche got into his head, didn't he? Like, yep. literally got into his head. Yep. So, yeah, that that was cool. Also, we should touch on it, too. You know, Superwoman is dying, essentially. Her powers are disagreeing with her, and her cells are breaking down. Yeah, and this is because of the the actual power. Like, I, we don't really know what the power is. Obviously, it's from the New 52 Superman, but we don't know what it is. Do you do you think, and this is a crazy theory, but we've been working on crazy Superman theories for the last couple weeks here leading up to Superman Reborn. Do you think that New 52 Superman has been, like, incubating inside Superwoman and now he's trying to get out again? Oh, God, they, they, they reused the Superman Reborn script that... That was written in the 90s. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be some shit? Like, New 52 Superman was like, I died, but I went into Lana Lang's body, and I've been incubating. That's why she's been all, like, you know, red electric Superwoman. But now I'm, you know, getting too powerful. You know, I can reform myself again, and I can escape, but I want to do that without killing her. Maybe, but also, um, Keenan Kong, the Chinese Superman, also has some of his power as well. He's got, like, the... um. Well, how do they explain it? He's got like the um the soul of New Fifty Two. So yeah, like, like the mo- the motivation sort of thing. Yeah, maybe you got to bring these two characters together because again, for Superman Reborn, they seek to be teasing that New Fifty Two Superman will play a part or maybe even come back in some way. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. He's on, like, covers and everything. Which, of course, leads to our, our your electric blue and electric red Superman theory that the Superman we've been dealing with is actually electric blue. That new 52 Superman will represent electric red, and by the end of Superman Reborn, they will fuse together, giving us a reborn Superman who is the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think that's definitely what's going to happen. <laughs> Thus why the new Superman costume we see at the end of Superman Reborn has the blue boots that current Superman does not have because his costume is almost entirely blue. Yeah. So wrap your heads around that, everybody. <laughs> It'll become more clear once Superman Reborn starts. <laughs> like, here's the thing. When Matt told me this theory, I thought it was as crazy as any other crazy theory. But there's more and more evidence every week there that is. seems to be pointing to it. There is. And also, this issue, we, we got more, like, evidence that maybe that Clark wandering around is Superman, uh, Superboy Prime. Yes, yeah, that was the theory you were playing around with, too. A lot of people seem to be enjoying that theory now. That's catching a lot of, uh, a lot of weight and a lot of fire. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting to the point where, where if it's anything else, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah, you'll be a little bummed about it. <laughs> or, you know, hey, maybe it's like a thing where it's like, well, maybe New 52 Superman got split into three, some into Lana, some into Keenan Kong, and then some into this Clark, and they eventually all have to come together and let their powers combine. <laughs> so like Captain Planet yeah like Captain Planet let our Superman combine <laughs> but the other thing too that I thought actually lended even more credence to your theory apparently DC Comics on their digital app just put up a bunch of electric red and blue Superman yes I remember when you said that to me and like, oh it's a bit, bit too bit too of a, much of a coincidence <laughs> I had people arguing with me being like oh well they put crazy stuff up on there all the time on the digital app I'm like but why these particular stories these stories that admittedly weren't all that well remembered in fact when most people think electric red and blue Superman they think of them as like jokes or being like oh god remember that yeah why in the 90s <laughs> yeah why out of all the Superman stories they could have put up on digital from all 75 plus years of the run why would they pick them and why would they they pick them now yeah this particular week <laughs> yeah this particular week of all times all i know is that superman reborn is going to be pretty fucking amazing i think i think it is too yeah so uh i guess from superman i can talk about something from marvel something that i absolutely loved to death and that was kingpin number one yeah what was that like so I told you how much I've been loving the new recent Daredevil stories. I think Charles Souls is really writing his saga right now. I talked about how disappointed I was with Bullseye. This one totally won me back in a huge way. It follows very much in the footsteps of the lot of the, of the, the words. It follows in the footsteps of a lot of the great villain comics we're getting right now, and that is, it's about Kingpin and he gets to shine and everything. But it's also not really following him because we get a POV character, and in this case, it's a, it's a journalist, Sarah Dewey, who Wilson Fisk kind of tries to hire to write an autobiography about him. So it's people who, like, get to experience the villain. Exactly. Well, they get to stay the same and get to more or less go unchanged because, you know, that's the way we like them. If the villain grows too much, then by the end of the story, they might not be a villain anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did it with Carnage, they're doing it with Thanos, they're kind of doing it with Deathstroke right now. They're not doing it with Bullseye, which is kind of a problem. 
But, uh, yeah, she essentially just kind of follows around the kingpin, and he just kind of tries to charm her and be like, you know, I'm not really a bad guy or anything, you know. I've done bad things, but it's been for the greater good. You know, I'm a man of ideals. And at first, she doesn't like him, and we find out a bunch of stuff about her, how she used to write foreign policy, but then she got divorced, and she's a recovering alcoholic, so she really needs the money. (laughs) (laughs) So she's willing to compromise some of her, you know, ideals as a writer and a journalist to maybe tell this story. And as the kingpin kind of charms her, you as the reader get charmed yourself. It's very well done. Yeah, cool. It's, it's a really smart, really adult comic was the word I used for it. I'm like, this is an adult story, and I don't mean like there's a lot of blood and fucking in it. I mean like it actually deals with adult themes and ideas. Yeah, awesome. So I'm definitely on board for this one. And in fact, uh, my review actually got to reach the ears of the writer and the artist who kind of retweeted me on their own personal Facebook pages. So thank you guys out there. And the dude who wrote this, he's a guy I've never read before, Matthew Rosenberg. He's actually going to be writing the new solo Rocket Raccoon series when that comes out. Oh, awesome. So I want to pick that up now, because his kingpin knocked my socks off, so I really want to read his take on Rocket Raccoon now. (laughs) I wonder if it will be equally as an adult take on this talking space raccoon. (laughs) Watch as Rocket Raccoon must overcome the horrors of pill addiction. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so what did you have uh, else this week, Matt? Uh, I had Earth 2 Society issue 21. Yeah, issue 21. This is the penultimate issue. Right. It's almost done after this. Holy shit. It is. The the, the Wonders are fighting Ultra Humanite again, uh, who, release, who releases his weapon, which is a mind-controlled Alan Scott. Oh, shit. So Alan Scott just picks apart the team until um, Power Girl is able to get through his his control on him and 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 save him but it, it's too late because ultra humanite kills batman oh god no <laughs> yeah this is batman the dick grayson who's been batman since convergence yeah, uh he ends up for a while he ends up dying and in 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 his fair case he was always kind of dying because he was literally a cripple who was held together by an exosuit yeah he had a, he had a rough run didn't he dick grayson as batman <laughs> he he did he did have a rough run <laughs> pretty much all of earth 2 had a super rough run it felt like their world was ending every other week yeah it definitely but it, it definitely feels like i i know there's like theories floating around that say like their their earth is going to somehow or that like their team is going to somehow become the jsa of the rebirth universe right um and i don't know how that could happen and i guess it could now that they've sort of killed off batman so you don't have to worry about a batman character my only the only other person you'd have to really worry about is uh the superman there but yeah i I don't know what what they'll be doing with these characters in the next issue whether they'll just kill them off or just say we're not going to visit earth 2 for a while or something or put them on a bus is what that's called put them on a bus (laughs) maybe they'll come back we don't know yeah that's the thing i have no idea what they're going to do with these characters they can't destroy the characters again because they've just gotten to a new brand new world and you need your power girl stand-ins and you need your other stuff right yeah it's man earth 2 has had such a weird run 
of being like so, kind of like a sleeper hit when the new 52 started, sticking around through DCU and after Convergence, where uh, I'm a firm believer, I don't think it was ever as good again after Convergence. I feel like they had the opportunity to fuse the worlds and have the Earth 2 characters jump over to the main Earth, but they got cold feet at the last second. Yeah, it definitely felt like, like with World's End, it felt like that was what was going to happen. Because I remember, like, at the end of that series, at the end of World's End, I thought the, sh- the generation ships were going to crash down on Prime Earth and they were going to all come out and be the JSA or something. But that never happened. So th- there was probably something that happened because Convergence wasn't all on time or anything. Mm. And yeah. You know what happened? And it gives me a chance to blame it. Future's End happened is what happened. Because <laughs> if you remember. And if you don't, I can't blame you because Future's End was a goddamn salt water and acid enema of a story. You'll recall that in the future of Future's End, the ships did touch down, and Earth 1 and Earth 2 were fused, and the Earth 2 people ended up becoming second-class citizens, and it was a whole thing of like, oh, well, you know, you, you have an Earth 2 doppelganger out there, you know, where, where's your doppelganger and everything? Yeah, yeah, I kind I kind of remember that, but yeah, they they hinted at that, but yeah, maybe that was the reason why they didn't want to do it because Future's End was such a shit show, and they wanted to get rid of every little speck of reference to that. So, and one of them was obviously the Earth Two characters coming over. So it was they them. Got, it was them testing the waters and be like, okay, we test, yeah, we tested these waters, and the waters smell like sewage. There's actually way too much to keep track of here. <laughs> <laughs> to be like, oh, there's two of everybody. And you just can't be like, well, there's two of everybody except for the important people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's that's way too much. Because then, like, every small, minuscule character, it's like, well, they have a doppelganger, right, from Earth 2. What are they like? Yeah, no, and I guess it also brings up the the, the um the thing where you see, like, a character do something bad. You'd be like, ah, it's his doppelganger. Yeah, it's just his Earth 2 doppelganger. That... That would definitely muddy the waters of, like, the comic universe, which has always been a little bit muddy, and it's like, yeah, that's that's just being needlessly complicated. Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, that was Earth 2 Society. Uh, back over on the Marvel front, I read The Unworthy Thor, number four this week. I read this one as well. Really cool story, wasn't it? On one hand, it's like an action beat-em-up. It's Thor finally fighting his way to the hammer. And yet, on a whole other level, they explore all the other times that Thor has doubted himself and his ability to wield the hammer over the years. Yeah, it kind of went back and forth with him sort of wondering why, even though he's done all these great feats and everything, whether he'll still be worthy. And you have, like, his mother and then Jane and then Cancer Jane um, saying... That is her official name, Cancer C. Jane. (laughs) Um, saying stuff like it is not about the hammer or anything; it's about the the man who wields it, it's, and it's about the heart and everything. It's funny, like this is a story that basically breaks down to like, "Hey, Thor, you had the hammer in your heart all along; you never needed it." <laughs> it could have been so cheesy and so after-school special, were it not in the hands of someone like Jason Aaron, who makes you believe every second of it, being like, "Yeah." Thor did doubt his worthiness all throughout his career, didn't he? You know, he was never sure if he'd be able to pick up the hammer until he did. And his whole mission now of like, you know, I need to get the hammer back, I need to reclaim my life as Thor, is also about him kind of like reevaluating his place in the Marvel Universe and kind of in many ways trying to like recapture a part of himself. Yeah, yeah. And also, was this issue the penultimate issue in the series? Yes, yes, it was. 
So it's only a five-issue series. I thought it was going to go for a lot longer. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think this one was only five. I think this was the penultimate. Well, shit, maybe he's just going to get the hammer now and just be Thor again, I guess. Well, well, he, well, here's the thing. In the cover for what's happening in the main Thor book right now, Jane is fighting the Shi'ar Empire, and we saw Unworthy Thor in one of those pictures, so I think he might come back at the end of that story and help Jane and the Asgardians beat back the Shi'ar. That would be cool. I, I said in my review, I, I, I'm sure you could probably answer this, but, like, is the Ultimate Hammer governed by a different set of laws? Like, like maybe he can pick it up but not wield its power? Yes. The ulti- Again, here's the thing. I'm no expert of the Ultimate Universe, and I'm sure a fan in the comment section can tell us all about it. But, yes, the Ultimate Hammer plays by very different rules. And it, But weirdly, though... In this issue, the Hammer started acting more like the main universe Hammer, where they're kind of implying that maybe maybe this Hammer has a personality too, and maybe this Hammer is, like, scared, because it's saying, hey, where's my Thor, and for that matter, where is my world? Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's definitely true, because it was, like, exploding the Collector's place and everything, and when anyone used to get close to it except for Thor. This also leads to a pretty interesting idea down the line, should they ever want to do it. Imagine, imagine what happens when Miles Morales meets Thor again and sees that hammer and goes, hey, wait, that was the hammer the guy on my Earth had. I wouldn't be surprised if he thinks that that is his Thor. Ooh, that would be funny. Yeah, has Miles ever met Thor yet? I mean, I know he's been at some of the bigger Avenger meetings, but I don't know if Miles has ever had like a one-on-one with Thor. I, I don't think, don't think so. No, because I think the I'm, only not, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think the only Thor that Miles has ever been on teams with is Jane Foster. Yeah, because I, th- I think he's been Odin's son since uh, Miles has been in th- this universe. Yeah, here's a, here's a pitch I was working on too. You know, once Thor gets that hammer back, you'll have to square the circle of being like, okay, we have two Thors now. What do we do? Does Thor become a background player in the main Thor book? Does he take over again, you know, in preparation of his movie in Ragnarok? Do they have both fighting side by side? Here was my pitch. Because Odin has been doing a really shitty job being king and because Kull has kind of pissed off all the different realms in this Malekith thing, wouldn't it be cool if you went all King Conan with it and you gave Thor his own book, literally call it King Thor, and you let him be the new leader of Asgard, basically everything his dad has wanted him to do for like the last 40 years, and it's his job to kind of go off and fight Malekith and also repair all the damage that the War of Realms has had while Jane stays on Earth and does the traditional superhero thing. I'd be alright with that. Yeah, they both have books, and they can both be super different, and they can both, you know, be cool in their own ways, and you can have lots of crossover between them. Like, of course, Thor, as king, will have to end up fighting Loki at some point, because he always ends up fighting Loki, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and and then there's the, the, the big events where Thor would maybe offer aid to Earth or something, and yeah. be coming to Earth to team up with the Avengers and everything. Yeah, and then, you know, you get a Thor thing where he's like, man, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown type stories. And in fact, uh, even very early on in Jason Aaron's run, he shows a future wherein Thor is definitely king. Instead of wielding the Odin force, he wields the Thor force. Yeah, it definitely would be a really cool thing. And you know what? You make it like the current Aquaman book. Yeah, where he's got to deal with all the political intrigue and everything. Yeah, and it would be interesting, too, because, you know, as much as I love Thor, I don't think he's smart enough to actually go through all the political <laughs> intrigue. I think he would have a very hard time with it. 
Yeah, I can't hit it. Yeah, I can't, I can't hit it with my hammer. And of course, you know, then down the line, if you keep doing that, you can write a story about how he can't be king anymore and how, you know, Odin's got to be king again or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Just yeah. saying, I think that would be an interesting pitch for that one. Uh, what else did you have this week, Matt? Uh, I had, oh, I had New Superman issue eight. Oh, uh, yes, yes. More of Keenan. What was going on with him? This was a big issue, not just for New Superman, but for DC Rebirth. Uh-huh, you don't say. So Superman's still, he's still training to be, learn how to use his powers and everything, um, while Batman goes to the Academy of the Bat and fights this guy who wants to be Batman because he thinks he's better, so he has to fight him and everything. And I, I love the, 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 this Chinese knockoff thing they got going with it because they, they fight in this arena that's made by constructs from a Green Lantern ring, but it's not a Green Lantern ring. It's like a, a Chinese knockoff. <laughs> and it, it's, 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 made, it's made to look like Gotham and everything. It's actually really cool. Um, but the thing that's really interesting happens at the end where we get to see Superman Zero, mm. which is the electric superman guy that who was kind of responsible for killing superman oh, the yeah, new 52 yeah. superman super league, in yeah. yeah in super league oh they uh, he's sort of the one yeah he's actually locked up in in the crab shell prison in shanghai uh and he gets recruited by ching lung you probably don't know who that is he is the one he's a character who predates both batman and superman he was uh, I'm sure you could probably look it up. I'll see if I can look it up and show you. Oh, is he, uh, is he the Asian guy on the cover of Detective Comics number one? Yes. Holy shit, that is a deep cut. That is a pull, is what that is. Yeah, and, and the last page is done up exactly like the De Detective Comics issue one. What a reference. What a friggin' reference. And not, not just that, apparently... Without him, there would be no superheroes on Earth. <laughs> That's crazy. And a story that you could only tell by telling a story about Superman in China. Yeah. And you know what's really funny? Um, the, the writer of this, Jing, um, Gene Lang, I think his name is, um, he said he was going to be bringing him back, but no one really noticed. Because <laughs> he, he was talking about like bringing back all these older characters. And obviously, back when Detective Comics came out, he was kind of a racist stereotype. Sure was. And... Um, Obviously, they're not going to make him like that anymore. Because um, he, he, he's, have... he's reclaiming the character, is what he is. Yeah, basically, he's, he's reclaiming it for for this new rebirth thing, and I have no idea what this guy has planned. That's insane, man. I, I've been I've been slacking on New Superman, but wow, does that make me want to read? Yeah, oh, it, it came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. Because I, I <laughs> at first, because at first, the panels at the first time when you see the shadow of the guy and he he looks like he's got a bald head. I'm thinking, oh well, it's probably Lex Luthor because he's been in the comic recently. And no, it's, it's just this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that totally makes me want to read just so I can tell other people, being like, hey, you know the Asian guy on the cover of Detective Comics number one? Yeah, I've seen him in passing. Yeah, he's in the new Superman. <laughs> they brought him back. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit that's cool uh you know what else was cool this week matt detective comics number 950 it was cool it was a big it was an anniversary issue or something an oversized anniversary edition yeah it was like 45 pages or something uh-huh filled with three anthology stories one focusing on orphan one focusing on Azrael and luke fox and one focusing on batman and tim drake before his death disappearance kidnapping whatever you want to call it 
Yeah, and they're all really good in their own way. Very strong character focus. The orphan one is, of course, the longest. Uh, she's, you know, one of the more interesting characters in the Bat family who hasn't really gotten the focus since Batman and Robin Eternal, and they really kind of weave a tale about her having so many emotions and so many things she wants to tell people, but she just can't because she's a mute. Yeah, she she can only really express herself by her actions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She speaks the language of violence, and even Batman is kind of scared of her at the end of the day. Yeah, he is. He is. Which Batman is rarely scared of anything, but he's scared of this girl who's half his size. Because <laughs> he knows what she was made for to basically be the ultimate killer and ultimate assassin. So much to the point that she ends up catching the eye of Lady Shiva of the League of Assassins. Yeah, th- this one was uh, it was the prologue to the next um, big arc, which sees the return of the League of Shadows, which well, was going to be really cool. Well, you know, you say return, but this is kind of like a canonization of the League of Shadows, because if you remember, That's true. there was That's the true. League of Assassins in the comics, but then for the cartoons and for everything else where they couldn't say League of Assassins, they became League of Shadows. So now James Tynan quite geniusly is splitting the difference and being like, oh, no, 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 the League of Shadows is a whole other thing unto itself. Yeah, the, yeah, and Batman all through the the colony storyline was saying how they they don't exist and whatnot. So uh, yeah, they, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting storyline. That's the next big Bat story, I think. Is it going to is it going to be in Batwoman as well? Uh, I don't know if it is or if it isn't. I know Batwoman starts soon. I think it starts this coming week. It does, and I think Super Sun starts as well. Oh god! <laughs> I know it's gonna be fr- friggin' DC man. Come on, stop! Give us a break! Stop with all these books. We're not made of money. <laughs> I want to read all of these. Uh, so yeah, there was that. Well, another thing I want to say about Lady Shiva. I love she's gone back to her old classic costume. She's ditched the stupid green ninja pajamas and now she's wearing the slick red and gold trench coat. Yeah, it looks really cool. Looks really great. I'm like, why did they ever change this character's design? Her design as is is so good. <laughs> uh, we got a really interesting piece about Luke Fox and Azrael. They kind of have like a religion versus technology fight is what they have. Yeah, they're talking about their theological differences and everything. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I kind of like that. That, you know, this, uh, that they still get along, but they disagree on so many uh, fundamental things. They even go out of their way to kind of retcon and explain how Azrael's suit of Soros actually works. Yeah, that was a really cool explanation as well. It was, where he's like, you know, for the longest time I thought I heard the voice of God in my head, but it turns out, you know, it was just an advanced AI program. So when I fight, it's basically like I have two brains. Yeah, it's really cool. It's it's a marring of, like, high-end technology with, like, old religious mm-hmm. stuff. And then to even take it the step further with Luke asking a question that I myself asked, and that is, hey... John Paul Valley, if the Church of St. Dumas built your suit, who's to say they're not listening in on you right now? Yeah. <laughs> and hey, go figure, they absolutely were. Yeah, they they built a robot called, what was it, Ascalion or something? Yeah, which I think is another angel of vengeance in the Bible, so there you go. Yeah, but the the last one with Tim and Batman was probably one of the most interesting ones. Indeed. Uh, Tim asked the question before he disappeared, Hey, Batman, what's with you making all these new teams and inspiring people to go make all these new teams? What are you What are you getting ready for? Yeah, it, it makes me think maybe... It, like, is this 
meant to be kind of set after the button, like he's found out about them, or is or is this before the button? Because it, it sounds like in the button they're going to find out about like the Watchmen and all that sort of stuff, and this seems like a response to that. Well, I think it's after Universe Rebirth. Batman knows something is coming. He's not sure what, yeah. and that's why yeah. he's shoring up his forces to make sure there's all these different teams that he can mobilize from behind the scenes to fight whatever it is coming down the line. I like they even give him credit for the new Teen Titans, where it's like, hey, you know, Batman, you ignored uh, Damien's birthday and so he made friends his own age was that intentional yep yeah yeah and, and what i really liked about it as well for once they actually gave an in universe reason for why batman is in all these books it's true because he's one of the few people who knows the secret yeah every, every other time it's usually been oh because he makes money but now they actually have a reason and i'm totally fine with that yeah me too i like it it's so simple and yet it works so well yeah it really, it really, really does. So, I mean, that was Detective Comics. I mean, if you're a fan of a lot of the supporting characters of the Bat family, and I think you are, I think that one will please a lot of people. I think it will. Uh, what else did you have this week, Matt? I had Superwoman issue 7. Ah, yes. This is the penultimate issue of the uh, Ultra Woman arc dealing with Lena Luthor, who's taken over Metropolis and stopped her brother and everything, and... This is them sort of getting out of the, the prison that they trap Lex in and trying to stop her sister. And this is where Superwoman's powers start to fail and start to go all haywire and everything. Um, and, and again, this, this issue, another Superman-related issue, brought back characters from pre-Flashpoint, uh, this time in a really obscure villain called Savior. Oh, yeah, uh, a nutcase who thinks he is Superman, right? Yeah, he's this religious nut who thinks that when Superman came back from being killed by Doomsday, that that wasn't a real Superman. And he he got tricked by Brainiac and all this sort of stuff. And he ended up getting himself powers and thinks himself as some messenger of God. Hmm. And uh, yeah, he fights Lex Luthor in this. And, and he, he all, the whole time he's like quoting Bible verses and all this sort of stuff and it's crazy and the thing is he's been around as well apparently through the new 52 we've just never seen him because he's been he's been locked up in strikers island oh that's a nice touch yeah but um at the end of this issue lois lane shows up again now the problem with this is i don't know whether it's pre-flashpoint lois or new 52 lois and i think that's how they find out about the fortress of solitude in the himalayas she tells them to go there or something that makes sense yeah i that that's like the only way i can picture how they figure out to go there yeah yeah that would make a lot of sense yeah i could see that happening there's definitely a lot of good connective tissue happening between all these super family books yeah, and they're going to connect up even more because they've, they've got, like, big event coming up with Superman, Supergirl, Batgirl, bunch of other people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good time to be reading Superman. I've said before, this is probably one of the best eras in Superman in, like, forever. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, every book you got to read. Like, every book is good. Every book is interesting. It is. It, and the stuff they draw on. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, you know, they're bringing stuff back from all over the place. Admittedly, a lot from the 90s, because you got guys like Jurgens who were writing Superman in the 90s. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which is hilarious where it's like, man, all these new fresh and interesting ideas that aren't really as fresh and interesting as you think because this guy wrote them. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it also says something to you to be like, wow, this guy never lost his touch with Superman, did he? He did, which is really weird because when he writes like other books like Batman Beyond, he's absolutely terrible. Because he has no love or frame of reference for Batman Beyond. He clearly has a lot of love and a lot of frame of reference for Superman. Yeah, and then again, it, it, it harkens back to him being an old writer from the 90s and 80s who wrote that character back then. Yep, and everything old is new again. And then you got great stuff from Tomasi as well. Who Tomasi has been one of the most hardest working guys in comics for a long time. You know, be it when he was writing Green Lantern Corps, when he was writing, you know, Batman and Robin, to where now he gets to write, you know, Superman, which is like Superman and Son. Yeah, and I think he is actually writing Superman, uh, Super Sons as well. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's and he's doing Superman Reborn. Yeah, so, I mean, now is really his time to shine and be like, hey, anyone who never took notice of Peter Tomasi before, you should really take notice of him. Definitely. The, the dude was putting in so much work in books I felt no one was reading. No, no. Now everybody's reading them, and that's great. Uh, t- two last ones for me, Marvel-centric. I had in Humans vs. X-Men number four. Did you read this one? I did. Yeah, it was... this. Th- it hits the point where, like, I didn't mind the last two issues of this series, but it hits the point that a lot of events like this hit, and that is, okay, we need to slow down now because everyone needs the same information, and we need to concoct a reason for everyone to have the same information going forward. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it's taken them a while to like for like the the Inhumans to figure out. Oh, the X Men are attacking us because the the Terrigen Cloud is going to cover the Earth, and yeah, I, I yeah like, we like know why that. are they just figuring that this out now? Well, because the X Men attacked their leadership right away as soon as they knew. That's why. <laughs> but it is kind of like really, it took you four issues, rest of Inhumans, to know what we as every other reader has known for the last four or five issues, counting zero issues. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a little disheartening to be like, really, I knew more than the people I'm reading about Jesus. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, it's so weird. It was also kind of a weird showcase piece for Mosaic, and I didn't read Mosaic solo books, so this is the first time I've ever seen this character in anything. And I'm like, oh yeah, this guy. Yeah, it's the same. I'm like, well, wow, this guy's actually kind of powerful. Where, where has he been? <laughs> yeah, he can steal your body. He can read your memories. I didn't want to slag him off so much because I'm just like, well, you know, he is a new character, and that's a fight we fight all the time in comics. And that is like, oh, well, where's all the new characters? Here's a new character. It's just I haven't been reading his book. <laughs> Maybe that's why they create so more uh, legacy characters because it's so easy to ignore people like Mosaic. It's true. It's true. There was an amazing panel here. It was by far my favorite part of it is when he jumps into Magneto's mind and you see an abridged version of Magneto's entire history. I know. It was like a, a quick origin stop for, for Magneto. It's like, if you, if you don't know who he is, here's this page that will tell you who he is. So you see, like, Auschwitz and Eric the Red, and you see, like, frickin', uh, what is it? All Like, every great X-Men story you can think of, you see there in his mind. Yeah, yeah. And you're thinking to yourself, like, I think Zorn was there, too. I'm like, God damn it, Magneto has had a weird and long history of doing crazy shit. He has. <laughs> that man, that man's life is a soap opera, like all X-Men. Yeah, and also this issue, like, the end of last issue, it sort of implied that we're going to get a little bit more about Black Bolt and what he's in, that weird cube thing. We see him, we see, the only time we ever see him is inside Magneto's head. 
Right. Well, he, well, he can't come out because he can turn the tide of battle too quickly. I, I thought they implied that Emma Frost was working on a way to weaponize him and turn him against his friends is what it seemed like. That's, that's what I was I was hoping they'd explain. Like, what is this weird cube thing he's attached to? Like, what is it? Is it a weapon? Is it something to get rid of the Terrigen mist? Yeah, is I, it... I, it looked like she was siphoning off his voice to power something. Yeah. It, it's funny. Whenever I do this one, and, you know, to the story's credit, there are way more spirited discussions and debates about Inhumans versus X-Men than there ever was about Civil War too. But it's funny, it's so hard to pick sides in this story, for me at least, when it's obvious that Emma is the bad guy. And a lot of people read that as me being, you know, pro-inhuman over X-Men, and it, I'm like, no, but Emma's the bad guy, it, though. It, I am exactly, I get exactly the same comments on my reviews, and I'm like, she, she's obviously the bad guy. Are you, how are you not seeing this? She's willfully lying to everyone, she's fanning the flames of hatred, she's got all of the mutant community involved in a war that could easily have been avoided had they just talked it out, but she got everyone to jump the gun. She knows it's wrong, but she's doing it anyway, and in fact, as we can see from like the X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold, Ain't no Emma around in any of those books, so she clearly gets found out by the end of this and becomes the scapegoat for the entire war, as she should be. Yeah, exactly. I don't see how people can side with her and say, oh, she's, you know, doing the right thing. (laughs) Not to mention Emma has, like, almost always been shown as an opportunist and a villain. This is a woman who who joined, like, what is it, the Dark Illuminati just because she could and because she was trying to further her own means and everything. She's obviously just furthering her own stuff right here, right now. She's mad. She's mad that her boyfriend died, or not even boyfriend, because they weren't even really together when he died. She She's mad that the guy she had, you know, unresolved issues with died, and she's like, oh, well, if he died, then, you know, everyone's going to have to suffer and feel my pain, and I don't care who gets hurt in the crossfire. And in fact, we even start to see the cracks start to appear between her and the rest of the mutants that she's working with. Yeah, they kind of start questioning her a little bit, say, this this ain't right. Yeah, because c- she's just like, well, I'm in charge and you're all going to listen to me. And people like Storm and Rogue are like, yeah, we kind of outrank you, though. Yeah, we've been, we're, we're veterans. Yeah, we're, we're kind of veterans. And you're just like, like, I know you've been around Emma Frost and everything, but, you know, maybe maybe you should listen to us on this one. And she's like, uh, okay, no, whatever. <laughs> So there was that, and then I also had Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, number four. Not really sure what else I can say about this one. I think I've sung its praises so much now I'm out of material. It's a good story. Peter Parker and his family defeat the Mole Man. It's a good, fun, happy time. Cool. Cool. Oh, and uh, Anne-Marie Parker gets her official spider code name now. What is it? Uh, It's Spiderling. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? She's Spiderling, MJ is Spinneret, and Peter is, of course, Spider-Man. I laughed because I'm like, well, but I've been calling you Amp this whole time, uh, Annie, and then it hits me, wait, her name is Anne-Marie Parker. Oh my god, her name was an acronym, Amp. Oh my god. <laughs> Those were her initials. Her superhero name were her initials. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you should have a better code name. <laughs> <laughs> Spider Spiderling is cool and everything, but every time I hear Spiderling, I cannot help but think of Hulkling. Yeah, yeah. Whatever happened to Hulkling? He kind of disappeared. Uh, yeah, him and Wiccan just kind of fell off the face of the earth. They were on the new Avengers for a little bit, then. Yeah. Then yeah, then they just kind of fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. As happens. So, yeah, I'm surprised that's... they're not on something like the Champions or something. Yeah, I mean they are young heroes, aren't they? Ah, you know what? They'll probably do an issue where they get to hang out together. 
Yeah, probably. Shit, that's a whole story you could tell. Find a reason for the Young Avengers and the Champions to have to either work together or fight each other for some reason. Yep. <laughs> I could see that happening. And then at the end of the story, you have the Young Avengers kind of like pass the torch to the Champions. and be like, okay, you are the new Young Heroes of the Marvel Universe. That'd be cool. Because let's face it, most of the people who are in the Young Avengers are should be pretty old by now, so they can't really call <laughs> themselves former Young Avengers now. <laughs> Well, it's young in quotation marks. <laughs> I mean, look at freaking Kate Bishop now. She's headlining a Hawkeye book of her own. She ain't young no more. <laughs> She's the main one. So yeah, I mean, that was the, that. That was my books for this week, Matt. Did you uh, Did you have anything else to go out on? I got two more books. Um, I have Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps issue fourteen. Right. The, another really cool book. Space Cabbie appears. Sweet. Uh, he's a smuggler. <laughs> oh, is he Patton Oswalt? Does he look like Patton Oswalt? No, he looks like um, Jason the Sparta. Really? He's got the beard and like the spit curl sort of thing. and <laughs> That's funny. A robotic leg and everything. <laughs> I like Space Cabby. He's one of those wonderfully comic booky creations. Yeah, and, and he appears because Guy Gardner tracks him down to see if he knows where any of the Sinestra Corps members who left... Um, after Warworld exploded, uh, because they're sort of rogue now. And they're rogue because the Green Lantern and the Yellow Lanterns have joined forces and are trying to sort everything out. And Kyle and Hal go looking for the Blue Lanterns. Oh, nice. And yeah, it was just a really simple story. It, nothing really big happened in it. It was just them tracking down the Blue Lanterns, and yeah, that's it. Cool. Uh, Supergirl. Supergirl is really interesting. Again, another super Superman related book that actually referenced something to do with Superman Blue. Yeah. And that is the introduction, or not really the introduction, more like a cameo appearance of Strange Visitor, who was a character uh, from just after the Superman Blue, Superman Red storyline. She she actually wears the Superman Blue outfit. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. And um. Uh, the DEO apparently have her, and or, or her costume, uh, since you see it in like this stasis tube sort of thing. Oh. But um, the the main story is about obviously Kara fighting her father, who is Cyborg Superman, yes. uh, trying to stop him from destroying uh, was it National City? Uh, she succeeds in everything, and he he actually kind of turns good near the end. Oh wow! And um, uh, he actually gets rid of all his um cybernetic parts and i guess that's where they're going to make him the more classic cyborg superman right because uh, because we've seen the cl more classic cyborg superman in some of the the trades and solicitations and that's the only way i can see him becoming the new the more classic cyborg superman they've gotten rid of all these like new 52 stuff and are going to give him something else mm. but it's the D, it's the deo doing it and they, they call him the secret weapon or something right right so yeah lots of pretty cool stuff happening in that book that book as well is written by steve orlando yeah yeah he does a good job and uh yeah that, that's about it yeah sounds like it was a solid week for comics for everybody involved it was yeah, it was good, good stuff. Oh, also, I read, I just forgot, uh, All-Star Batman, Scott Snyder, really good. This one was a focus piece yeah. on Poison Ivy, of all people. 
I completely forgot about that one as well. I haven't I haven't done a review on it yet, but yeah, it was a really good book. Yeah, if you like Poison Ivy, you're really going to like this. Uh, Scott Snyder does a really good job kind of taking her back to her roots as a scientist. They don't really mention the green or anything, but they do kind of mention that she does have an interest in like plant magic because she's doing experiments on what she believes to be a tree of life. Yeah, one of the oldest trees, and it's out in the desert. Mm-hmm, in uh, Death Valley. Yeah, and and the Batman comes, and then we get invisible ninja assassins, and he, he's fighting freaking Metal Gear characters now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. They're all like in camo, in in the octa camo. We're we're gonna find out that these actually are the sons of the Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're the um the parasite units. <laughs> oh Jesus, man! See, you say that, and it's like that's just that's just a money story right there. <laughs> <laughs> It's just pure dollar bills for everybody around. But yeah, that was that was a fun story. I find it interesting that a lot of these stories, like obviously he did it with the Mr. Freeze one, where it's like, no, look, you know, uh, Freeze and Nora are together. See, I know that. But wait, wasn't it in your book that you originally broke them up? Yes, but now I'm putting them back together. And now with Poison Ivy, yeah, she's a scientist. You know, she does all this stuff. You know, I'm not even going to mention the green. But wait, weren't you the one who mentioned the green, though, in, the, in your Swamp Thing book and you brought her into Yeah, 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 but I'm changing it now. <laughs> Yeah, he, he's kind of, like, retconning everything he originally did with those characters to make them more like their classic I- iterations of the character. This is him cleaning house, and the next issue is going to all be about Mad Hatter. Oh, God, that's going to be a good one. I'm really interested to see what Scott Snyder, you know, Mr., you know, outside-the-box thinker for classic supervillains, how is he going to reimagine the Mad Hatter? If anything, it's going to be trippy. I hope so. I, it should be trippy. I hope it's like a total acid trip. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited for that. And, uh, yeah, is, is that everything from this week, Matt? Is this all the books we've done? That is everything. Whew, man, big, big, meaty show. Big hour and a half of entertainment here. Now, as I mentioned before, if you're looking to download this show, I'm going to try and upload this one to SoundCloud this week just to try it out, and I'll put the link down below. But as for everything else, patrons will get this one first. We'll upload that as soon as we're done recording on Sunday. It's about 11.30 now as we're doing that. As always, be sure to check Matt and myself out on social media. Go subscribe to Fortress of Solitude if you haven't. Go listen to the new Kate TV podcast over on the Weekly Pool channel. Matt and I talked yep. about all the shows that came out this week, although we forgot Legends. <laughs> oh, what a shame. <laughs> we watched it too is the thing we watched. I know, it, I know. We forgot to talk about it. And the thing is, it wasn't that bad of an episode. No, all things considered, it was actually a pretty solid episode for Legends. Sure, there was dumb shit in it, but there was a lot of cool shit, too. Evil Redcoat Rip is much cooler than the other Rips. He is. <laughs> I, in fact, I hope he stays a villain. I actually really like Villainous Rip. <laughs> also, too, the show is almost self-aware now because they gave uh, Heatwave the... Uh, narration duties and he's like yeah we're the legends of tomorrow we're a bunch of idiots who try and save time but we cause more damage than we don't (laughs) and i'm like jesus christ has this show become self-aware now (laughs) it has it fucking has and you know what if it's become self-aware it might actually become even more worthwhile now if they realize what they're doing is kind of silly yeah it'll embrace it <laughs> so yeah that that was the show for this week everyone we hope you enjoyed it uh, as always be sure to join us again next week where matt and myself will be doing this all over again for your entertainment so uh until next time everyone bye bye see ya